Lord, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Let my prayer be set before you as incense. The lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing, to practice wicked works with men who work iniquity. And do not let me eat of their delicacies. Let the righteous strike me a kindness and let him rebuke me as excellent oil. These words are in italic, it shall be, which are not there in the original, but it's supplied to give the understanding. Let the righteous strike me, it shall be a kindness. And let him rebuke me, it shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it, for still my prayer is against the deeds of the wicked. Their judges are overthrown by the sides of the cliff. And they hear my words, for they are sweet. Our bones are scattered at the mouth of the grave, as when one plows and breaks up the earth. But my eyes are upon you, O God the Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not leave my soul destitute or empty. Keep me from the snares they have laid for me and from the traps of the workers of iniquity. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I escape safely. We have a number of different themes or sub-themes. But the word is applicable to all our situations and all our lives. Let me read it in the New Living Translation. O oh Lord, I am calling to you. Please hurry. Listen when I cry to you for help. Accept my prayer as incense offered to you. And my upraised hands as an evening offering. Take control of what I say, O Lord, and guard my lips. Don't let me drift toward evil or take part in acts of wickedness. Don't let me share in the delicacies of those who do wrong. Let the godly strike me. It will be a kindness. If they correct me, it is soothing medicine don't let me refuse it. But I pray constantly against the wicked and their deeds. When their leaders are thrown down from a cliff, the wicked will listen to my words 
and find them true. Like rocks brought up by a plow, the bones of the wicked will lie scattered without burial. I look to you for help, O Sovereign Lord. You are my refuge. Don't let them kill me. Keep me from the traps they have set for me, from the snares of those who do wrong. Let the wicked fall into their own nets, but let me escape. A desire for every believer to say, Lord, keep the door of my lips, or guard my mouth, my lips, so that I don't say anything that is not pleasing to you. The Bible says in Proverbs, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall lead the fruit thereof. And there's a call unto God, don't let me drift toward evil. That means there's a magnetic attraction and pull from Satan and the world to see who he can bait. Which believer is not on guard so he can draw them so they can drift away. Don't let me drift toward evil or take part in acts of wickedness. Don't let me share in the delicacies refers to Again, being baited to be in the company of those who are evil. God doesn't want a partnership with anything that is wrong, whether in the workplace, from the home, or in the church. Because our allegiance is to the truth from a God who is just. Verse 5, let the godly strike me. No godly person is going to strike another person just outright because striking someone or hitting someone usually means that there is a animosity but this is speaking of course about rebuke it's speaking of correction now normally when you get struck it causes pain and you get hurt but the psalmist says here that this kind of striking is not supposed to produce hurt if we know how to take it correctly. That's important. Because the psalmist says it will be a kindness. If they correct me, it is soothing medicine. Don't let me refuse it. So it has a lot to do with how we hear and how we receive and who we are receiving it from. These are considerations that all of us must face because ultimately, if a counsel or a correction, rebuke, is coming from the Lord, then to refuse it is to refuse the Lord, or to find fault with the Lord. So that's the vantage point here, that the godly, godly means someone who is walking with God. And the sooner we humble ourselves, the faster the spiritual growth. The later we humble ourselves and hold on to feelings that are not in keeping with God's desire, 
the slower the spiritual progress. Actually, there'll be a backward step. And then you see the psalmist saying, but I pray constantly against the wicked in their deeds. Matthew 5, the Lord says, love your enemies. Pray for them that persecute you. Bless them that curse you. And yet, there are times when the Lord wants us to pray, not take personal vengeance, but to pray that God would stop the wicked. There are many Christians, I'm sure in Germany, during World War II, that prayed for the demise, the death of Hitler, because he was possessed. All of his officers were possessed, destroying lives of millions upon millions in the worst way. They were going to conquer the world. So certainly it would have been right for believers, sadly, believers around the world didn't really act. They probably didn't really pray much because if they really prayed, perhaps this would have stopped earlier. But there was a tremendous destruction of human life, things that can't even be mentioned normally. But to pray against a Hitler, to pray against a Haman, pray against a Pharaoh, is a part of what God wants us to do. If we're soft on that, then we're not calling upon the Lord and aligning ourselves to take action to stop the death of the innocent. When their leaders are thrown down from a cliff, the wicked will listen to my words and find them true. The thing that's quite graphic and seems not in keeping with the Christian sentiment, and yet you see similar things all the way down to Revelation. Even the Lord Jesus himself spoke very directly to his enemies. Because this is not speaking of personal vengeance. And that's the idea there, love your enemies. It's talking about God's justice and safeguarding innocent lives. So a true Christian will not be a pacifist the sense of, or similar to people who say, you know, we shouldn't have the death penalty. Remember in junior high school, in seventh grade, the social studies teacher was uh, actually studying to be a lawyer initially. And he would engage us, 13, 14-year-olds, in uh, debates to make us think. And it was good. But the problem is, he would say there's no right or wrong. And sad to say, the debates there in that junior high school classroom mirrored the world of adults in this way. Because when there was a debate and one student took the side of capital punishment needing to be legalized and the other one said, no, it's a moral evil, it's wrong, the student that would be passionate and raise the voice and even 
almost have tears, the teacher would commend that student and say, that's very convincing. And so truth was not the issue at all. It was the drama. And that's unfortunately what happens in society. But the believers who seek justice from the Lord, at a certain point, they will desire the elimination of the wicked. Especially when the Spirit of God works in a godly person. They have an insight that this is it. That person has actually trampled on grace and is actively pursuing to harm more people. It may happen physically to another person or it may happen through sorcery, witchcraft, evil eye, so many things. And God is not going to let that continue. And his people must be behind him. When Jesus comes back in the book of Revelation, he will be on a white horse. Absolutely holy and pure, full of might. And he will come back to take vengeance on his enemies. And you know who's following him? Multitudes of saints, similarly, clothed in white. Whole host. It's important to let the Holy Spirit take over our emotions. And you see a contrast here. On the one hand, being rebuked for something by godly people. If it triggers an emotion and a reaction that is not from God, something to watch out for because it will cause us to go off on a tangent thinking that everything's okay, I'm doing well, I'm serving God, when God has an issue with it. Certain things must be resolved so they don't repeat. At the same time, you see, as I said, another theme or sub-theme within this short psalm. How do I feel when God's justice has to be served? When it's time for God to act, am I going to side with his enemies under the guise of love? Am I going to say, it's not for me to rally this time. Um, you go and do it, others. God wants to see whether we'll be faithful to him in everything he says for us to do. So it's wonderful when we see the scriptures, comparing scripture with scripture, and see the whole picture so that we're not misled or lopsided. At the same time, this psalmist, which happens to be David, is writing also, Lord, I need your protection. Don't let them take me, Lord. Keep me from every trap, Lord. Now today, as I often say, with Israel, with King David, most of us don't have physical enemies laying traps. But we do have demons that look for an opening. Doesn't matter how old we are, how long we've been in the faith, doesn't matter as to gender or cultural background or social status. The devil is equal opportunity. He'll take any soul he can any time. And he particularly desires souls of believers because he hates God and he hates his children. So we have to be alert. 
And David is crying out to the Lord, Lord, keep me from traps. We have far more detail and motivation and blessing in the book of Ephesians and the rest of the New Testament. God tells us how this enemy comes. He comes primarily through three avenues. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. And the pride of life. As I've shared before, the word lust does not have a connotation automatically having to do with sexual immorality. The word simply means strong desire. So that strong desire may be immoral things, but also could be covetousness. It could be wanting to take glory for oneself. Wanting to take credit. Wanting to do many things to acquire material things. Um, wanting to live comfortably. Strong desire. i got to be comfortable. I don't want to sweat. I don't want to bleed. Certainly not bleed. <laughs> the path of the cross. I like to read about it in books where missionaries go through. It really touches me, but me. I'm not a missionary. I don't have to suffer like that. No, we're not called to suffer the same way necessarily, but we're called to suffer for sure. In some way, because the scriptures say, all that are godly shall suffer persecution. The devil will come at us. That's where the test of faith comes, and that's what we need to say with King David, that, Lord, I am hungry and thirsty for you. I want to see your name honored, Lord. Not only in my house, but out there in the streets amidst the heathen and in the midst of the great congregation, the church. Do we have a zeal like that? Everything is about the Lord Jesus. Everything is about him because he is everything. He's almighty God. He's the one who saved us. He's the one who loves us more than anybody else. He gave his blood for us. Our passion must be, Lord Jesus, you must be glorified in my life today. Not because the preacher said so or it's the right thing to do necessarily only, but because I love him. When we love the Lord, just like he says in Revelation 3, he said, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. It's a good thing when our flesh gets disturbed and our hearts may feel irritated when God speaks because it's an indicator that something's really wrong. There's something much deeper involved. I need to get this fixed. You know why? Because it can break out again. And it may happen at a time when it may be crossroads. And at that moment, if we're not able to take counsel and even rebuke from the Lord, we may end up making a fatal decision. It's possible. So we need to be careful to have the fear of God with us, in us. Never trade it for anything else. Take the whole world, but give me Jesus. 
Everybody wants to be comfortable. It's a natural human desire. But the Lord has shown us that this temporal world will perish quickly when the time is up. Once it was destroyed by water, the next time it will be by fire. And so the Lord is saying again and again, everything will be gone. Enjoy what you have while you have it. But always know that nothing here will last. So prepare yourself for eternity. Hallelujah. 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 There's no better place than to be at Jesus' feet, worshiping Him and saying, Lord, have I got my priorities mixed up? Lord, do I need restructuring in my thinking, in the way I live my life? Lord, is my belief in You and in the Bible contradicting my actual practice in philosophy of life? Only then can I go to God and say, Lord, I want everything I see in the Word that you have for me, for me to fall into every area of my life, Lord. Then we will see a tremendous spiritual life emerging where we are actually walking with God. We can hear His heartbeat. Then God will come to us like He did with Abraham and say, you're my friend. Therefore, I will tell you things that no one else knows. The trust will be there. Many times we think we need to learn to trust God. As we've shared before, we also need to consider whether God can trust us. Can God trust me? I want Him to trust me, don't you? I want the Lord to be able to say, I trust this person. This child of mine, this son, this daughter, I can, I can trust this one. Not trusting us for his uh, protection or his benefit. He doesn't need anyone. But to trust us to be loyal to him as a true son or daughter who will depart from everything that is unclean, everything that is contrary to his will, and be loyal to him and serve him. Blessed be the name of the Lord.